Have you ever been told to do something by a coach or a boss or a teacher or someone in authority and you thought, that just sounds crazy? Like they told you, we want you to do this, and you thought, why would I do that? Or how would I do that? Or maybe you are a teacher or a boss or someone in authority, and there have been times when you have given instructions, and yet those you have instructed are resistant to follow through because they don't understand the big picture. They push back with that why question one too many times, and and you heard yourself giving the most frustrating answer ever, do it because I said so. That's a classic one for parents. But it's hard to obey instructions where you have to trust even though you don't understand. Sometimes that happens in our relationship with God. You don't understand why things in the world and in our lives and in the lives of those we love unfold the way they do. We don't understand why when we try to do the right thing, it lands us in a place that seems so wrong, or at least not the place we would have chosen. We don't understand why God brings us into situations where we have to choose obedience, trust, and surrender. And when we don't understand why, faith must kick in. When I was a kid, I always had a fear of climbing ladders. And yet there, on the farm, there always seemed to be a reason to use one, to climb a tree or up in the barn or to fix something or to get up on the roof. When I was seven years old, I was using a ladder to climb up into the hayloft in our barn where we had a hen house. I was going to collect the eggs. And as I got towards the top of the ladder, I missed a rung and I fell down onto the cement floor and I broke my leg very badly. I actually ended up in the hospital in traction for six weeks. After I recovered, um, I found that every time I got near the top of a ladder, there was always a fear that welled up inside of me. But if my dad was there, and if I knew he was below me on the ladder or at the bottom, I could actually overcome that fear because I knew that he was there and he was watching. It was also incredibly reassuring at times when he would reach out and he would put his hand on my leg and suddenly I would know that he was there and I could trust him to catch me if I fell. Faith is trusting in a who, not a why. When a boss says, trust me, we are counting on the fact that they understand something we don't. When a parent says, trust me, we're counting on the fact that they have our best interest in mind. When God says, trust me, we are counting on the fact that he is good. He is loving. He is sovereign and supreme. He is eternal. And he is not in over his head, even when it feels like we are in over ours. Where in your life are you needing to exercise faith and trust right now? Is there a situation that comes to mind in the world or in your life or in the life of someone you love where you don't get it? Where you're wondering why? Why is it working out this way? And God is saying, trust me. Trust me with that situation. Trust me with your child, with your parent. Trust me with that situation at work or that relationship with your neighbors. Trust me with your spouse. Trust me in the who, not the why. Author Henry Blackaby in his classic book, Experiencing God, writes, If you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. 
Trust and obedience are the actions of faith. Please open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is located right near the end of the, of the New Testament. And we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11 this summer in a series we're calling Hall of Fame. And we're focusing in on people who the Bible recognizes as exemplary when it comes to living by faith. And in Hebrews 11, we discover what was, has come to become to known as the Faith Hall of Fame. A list of faith heroes, each one who trusted God even though they could not see him. Even though they did not fully understand the whole situation, they lived a life of faith and they inspire us to do the same. So far, we've looked at the story of Abel. And last week, Bill focused in on the life of Enoch. And today we come to the third hero who is named in the Faith Hall of Fame, who is Noah. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, Noah is one of those Bible characters whose story seems fairy tale like It's the stuff of kids' books and Sunday school lessons. We even decorate our baby nurseries with Noah-themed wallpapers and little animal mobiles. It's really hard to relate in a real-life way to being called to build a floating zoo or to be the one on whom God places uh, the future of humanity. But in very real, everyday ways, Noah's life and his unshakable faith in the midst of a world of, of faithlessness has much to teach us today. We're going to look at the story of Noah and we're going to learn from his example what it means to live a life of faith before God, especially when it's hard and difficult and when it doesn't always make sense. As we come to Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to understand the bigger picture context of the story of Noah. The Bible says back in the book of Genesis that over time since sin and disobedience was chosen by Adam and Eve, the world had grown increasingly corrupt and evil. Sin was everywhere. No one sought to do good. Everyone lived for themselves and no one sought after God. There was no hope, no future, no faith. It was so bad that sin brought destruction, injustice, and corruption to everything and the world needed to be rescued. God was determined to give creation a reboot, to bring about the restoration that was needed and to make things right again. Because the foundation was completely compromised, this was a total knockdown and rebuild. But the Bible says that in the midst of the whole world, there was one person named Noah. And Noah was unlike anyone else who lived at the time. He was a righteous person who sought after and followed God. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart that longed for God. And so in his grace and mercy, God comes to Noah and he offers him an escape plan from the coming judgment of the flood. Not only does Noah get in on the deal, but through Noah, that same offer of grace is given to others. God tells Noah, I want you to build a giant boat. And I want you to fill that boat with every kind of animal in the world who I will bring to you. And if you trust and follow me, I will spare you, your family, and the animals from a coming flood. 
Now this must have sounded as crazy to Noah as it sounds to us today, but Noah did exactly what God asked him to do. And because of his faith in God, Noah and his family were spared from the great flood and he earned a spot in the Faith Hall of Fame. Now building the boat alone would have been a massive feat. We're told in Genesis chapter six that the ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and four stories tall. Can you imagine how overwhelmingly difficult it would be to try to build it? I built a tree fort with our boys in the backyard when they were young and I thought that was quite an accomplishment. If you're looking for a road trip destination, you can, see a, you can visit a life-size replica of the ark by driving south on I-75 to Williamstown, Kentucky, where you can visit the ark encounter. But let's just say it was huge and very far from the nearest source of water. Noah is building an ocean liner on the prairies. And then you have to find enough food for the animals and where to store it. And you have to do the planning of the stalls and the cages and the pens. I cannot imagine Noah trying to explain this project to his family, let alone doing it. But he does by faith. Now, before we dismiss Noah's faith as something unattainable for us, I think that there's some lessons we can learn from Noah, practical, everyday lessons that help us in our own situations when we are facing difficult times, where it's easier to give up and say, I don't get it, I don't understand, or maybe it's not worth it to follow God on this one. Noah challenges us to trust and to follow God even in the midst of uncertainty and, in, and even in the midst of challenge. And I think his first lesson for us is this. A minority position did not diminish his faith. Do you ever feel like you're in the minority? You're the one fish swimming upstream against the current? Everyone else is going away next weekend and talking about the fun thing they're doing and you're the one who realizes, oh my, I have volunteered to greet at church or to serve in the nursery. Or you're meeting with your financial planner and they tell you they want you to save 10% for retirement, 5% for vacation, 5% for your vehicles, and you tell them that you're planning to give 10% of your income to God and you want to make that a priority. And they reply, nobody does that. At least no normal person. Give out of what is left over or there'll be nothing left over. And you say, I believe this is what God has called me to do and I am trusting him to provide what I need to do it. Or you decide to put a faith filter on what comes out of your mouth or what comes into your ears or past your eyes. And by doing so, you seem to miss out on a lot of what other people enjoy. Or you're a dating couple and you've committed to setting limits on how physical you're gonna be with your, your affection saving your very best for the one you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. Or maybe it's as simple as deciding that in a world of constant criticism and complaint, you're gonna to choose to be a person who is positive and polite. Or you're a parent and you're seeking to set godly boundaries and limits for your children and you always feel the guilt of that line, but everyone else has one. And you think, I must be the worst parent in the world or just maybe you might be one of the best. The point is this, if you live out your faith God's way, you will very much feel outnumbered. Seek to be a righteous person and live by faith and soon you will be in the minority, even in the church. But don't let it diminish your faith. Now as you listen to the description of Noah's day, it sounds really bad. 
The Bible says that everything they thought and did was evil. Genesis 6, 5 says, the Lord saw how the great wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And his heart was deeply troubled. That sounds dramatic. But if you think about it, it's not a whole lot different than the world we live in today. Things today are pretty messed up as well because that's the condition of the human heart without God. We live in a time when people really do what they want to do. There is no virtue. It's not honored. God is an afterthought for the vast majority. And without grace and a commitment to faith, that is the condition of our hearts. Psalm 53 says that without God, this is how we are described. Psalm 53.1 says they are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven in the, in, on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. And it's against that backdrop that Noah exercises faith. And he must have felt quite alone. He must have looked around and saw how messed up things were and wondered, why should I have faith? Why should I live differently? What difference will it make? It makes all the difference in the world because God is watching and God has an eternal redemptive plan that he is bringing about. And what is done here and now will count there and then. Faith pursued in the face of unbelief will be honored and celebrated for eternity. Author Oz Guinness in his book, The Call says, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to, nothing to prove. God is the one we, we desire to please, and Noah pleased God. Some Christians are concerned that in our society, we no longer have a majority position, that somehow we've lost our political power and voice. But faith in the Bible is never held by the majority. God often uses the few, the little, and the weak to accomplish his purposes. Because when you hold the power, you don't need God's. When you have control, it's so hard to surrender and give it over to him. Jesus says we take up our life by laying down our life. We find our freedom by surrendering to his will for our lives. Noah trusted God. He trusted that God was true to his word and that God had a plan beyond what Noah could see. And even though he felt alone, he chose to obey. And God is attracted to that kind of faith. He desires to help us down the ladder. He's the strong arm reaching up to us. In 2 Chronicles 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Just imagine God looking at you right now. You are the focus of his loving gaze. He sees where you are seeking to live by faith and his deep desire is to strengthen you so you can follow him. Just ask him to give you the strength you need to live by faith for an audience of one.
The second lesson I think that we see in the life of Noah is that time did not tempt him in a new direction. In faith, Noah keeps going. Despite the lack of rain, despite the presence of criticism and mockery, despite perhaps even his own doubts, and despite the fact that it had been a really long time since he actually heard God speak. Do you know how long it took Noah to build the ark? He and his family, how long did it take? If you calculate the time references in Genesis 6 and 7, it seems likely that it took Noah between 55 and 75 years to do what God instructed. Now, Noah lived much longer than we do, but part, the part of his life dedicated to building the ark represents what we would consider a lifetime. And during that lifetime, not only was Noah faithful, he taught his children and his grandchildren to be faithful also. He lived by faith all his days and as if the world depended on it because it did. Don't let your faith become a fad. Don't let time tempt you in a new direction. If you're bored in your faith, I'm telling you there are things about God you have yet to discover. Don't give up on God. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. I love what the Apostle Peter says to Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus has just informed his followers that his mission is going to be, involve great sacrifice and in verse 66 of John 6, we read, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Jesus, we are in for the long haul. We have placed our faith in you. Hall of Fame baseball player Cal Ripken Jr. played 2,632 consecutive games in, for the Baltimore Orioles in a 20-year career that cemented him as baseball's all-time Ironman. Hall of Fame careers are rarely short. Genuine faith perseveres over the long haul. The third thing I want you to notice about Noah's faith is that his obedience issued an invitation to grace. Hebrews 11:7 says that Noah obeyed God, who had warned him about the things that had never happened before. The action of faith is obedience. Noah did what God said. He lived differently. His life was marked by obedience to God, and we too are called to obedience. But we have three advantages that no one didn't have. First, we have the availability of the Bible. Now, it would be really cool to have God speak to us, like in an audible voice, and say, build a big boat, water's on the way. Except no one in Noah's day had ever witnessed a flood like what God was talking about. And so you might wonder, did I hear right? Personally, I don't trust the weather forecast from breakfast to lunch. I, I listen to the, the forecast three times a day just to see if it's changed. Noah had to hang on to God's forecast for 75 years. The gift for us is that we don't have to guess at what God says and what God's, what God wants, how God wants us to live. We have God's word written for us in black and white. 
I have 61 English translations of the Bible on my phone. Can you imagine? It seems spiritually gluttonous. We don't need to wonder about how God would have us live. We just need to look in the Bible to encounter God's amazing, guiding wisdom for our lives. Second, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency in your life. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and would leave people. Because they were given the law, and the law was what was to lead them to God and was always with them. But the Spirit is far better than the law and does what the law could never do. The Spirit is better because the Spirit lives in us and connects us to God. The Holy Spirit will lead you, guide you, challenge you, encourage you, prompt you, equip you, empower you. The Spirit is a gift that Noah didn't have every single day. Third, we have the fellowship of the church. We have the people of God around us. None of us need to go it alone. In the church, you are surrounded by other people who will come alongside you, encourage, encourage you, listen for God for you, pray for you. And so we have these three advantages, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the family of God, who help enable us to obey the will of God. Noah's faith and obedience resulted in the development of what the Bible describes here as righteousness. Noah was a righteous man. That means he developed a right relationship with God. And God used him as an example, not only to us, but to his own generation. You see, God was at work. He was calling humanity back to himself. He was inviting people to discover grace, freedom, and salvation through faith. And he was issuing the call through Noah. As Noah built the ark, he told people the story of grace. In verse 7, we read that by faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. Now, you need to read that carefully. Noah didn't go on Facebook and talk about how horrible his neighbors were or how much they deserved God's judgment. It wasn't his judgment because that's God's business. It was Noah's faith and his righteousness that brought about the condemnation and conviction of others. It was his faith that God noticed because it was his choice to live by faith that brought others to the place where they too had to decide what were they going to do with God. Would they follow Noah's example and trust and believe or would they reject it? His words and his actions served as a living invitation. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Think about it. Something as simple as giving up grumbling and arguing can make your faith shine like a star in the night sky. People will notice. And God will use your faith and obedience to issue them an invitation to believe. We have to have the courage to speak up also, though, to talk about our faith. In 2 in, in in Peter chapter 2, we are told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness as he built the ark. 
not only his lifestyle, but his words issued, um, issued this invitation to grace and spoke of God's righteousness, his righteous invitation to come into relationship with him. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we are told that it was actually Jesus himself who in the spirit was actually preaching to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. This means that the message of God's love, redemption, and salvation was being shared through Noah as powerfully as if Jesus himself was there. Likewise, you might be the greatest reflection of Jesus that your grandkids ever see, or your neighbors, or your, or your friends, or the people in your workplace. So live like it. In the words attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. The people in Noah's days were called to repent, to reconsider their lives, to return to faith and to be saved. But they refused and the result was their condemnation. You see, God does not force us to follow him. If we desire to live apart from him, he allows it though it breaks his heart. Our calling is to live by faith and to invite others to do the same. The final lesson I want us to take away from Noah is that, like they say when they're advertising mutual funds, past performance is no guarantee of future results. In other words, faith is active and ongoing. It's something you stir up and live out every day. We take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. After the flood and God's remarkable provision, after 75 years of walking by faith, Noah gets lazy and he takes his eyes off God. We run into this terrible story in Genesis chapter 9 where Noah is drunk and disorderly. It's a story that involves drunkenness, nakedness, and foolish behavior. And not only is God watching, Noah's kids are watching too. And while we don't get all the details, Noah's son Ham gets caught up in the wake of his father's sin, and it seems to sideline his own faith. Parents, you are blazing a spiritual trail for your kids to follow. Where you compromise, they will also. So stay alert and live by faith every day so that we can say, as the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be careful that once you've taken hold of the faith, you don't get lazy. Don't allow the enemy to have a foothold in any part of your life, in your actions, your words, or your attitude. Show him no hospitality. Give him no time. Resist him, the Bible says, and he will flee. Because if you give him time and space, he will move in and take over. Keep your faith active and engaged because past performance is no guarantee of future results. I can't imagine what Noah's life was like. To live in a generation that was completely corrupt. How hard it must have been for him to trust God decade after decade after decade. How heartbreaking it must have been to watch his neighbors and his friends reject this opportunity for redemption. Or simply how amazing it would have been to, to take on the task of building a floating zoo or to rebuild life after a devastating flood. 
But Noah was willing to follow God and to trust God even when it didn't make sense. He was willing to take God at his word even when it was hard. And he leaves us an incredible example of faith. And he ends up in the Faith Hall of Fame. The gift of righteousness that Noah received is something that we can all take hold of. It simply means walking in a right relationship with God. And it's what comes and begins the moment we put our trust in Jesus for salvation. That's when our faith journey begins. But it's something we also grow in throughout our lives. We have a whole lifetime of faith that springs out of that initial decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So where do you need to trust Jesus today? Is it for salvation? For that initial commitment of faith? Or is it for a specific circumstance that you're facing that's really difficult? Or maybe a place where you need to persevere and it has been hard for a long time. Maybe it's a decision about a future opportunity or simply about persevering in the present. Whatever it is, I want to give you some time right now just to talk to God in prayer about it and let him know that you are willing to trust, follow, and obey and ask him to make you a person of faith and righteousness as you follow him. Let's pray together. Oh God, I want to trust you. To trust that you know who I am and that you have my best interest in mind and that you love me. But Lord, I can't stop relying on my own strength. God, I have a hard time of letting go of control and I need your help. I pray that you would help me grow in my trust and that you would forgive me for the times I have failed to obey. Lord, would you help us get our eyes off the mountain before us and help us put our eyes on you, the God who moves mountains. Holy Spirit, teach us to trust your direction. Give us confidence and guidance through your word. Turn our lives into a powerful demonstration of what it means to live by faith. For we put our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.